Welcome to Unspoken, the podcast that highlights experiences that are all too common but very rarely discussed. I am Dr. Cloda Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and I feel very passionately about speaking the unspoken to remove the taboo and shame that so often surrounds our experiences and internal worlds. For each episode of Unspoken, I am joined by someone who would like to uncover their unspoken with us in order to help themselves, but also in order to help others. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and that you take something from it. Today, I am joined by Sarah, who has very bravely agreed to share her unspoken with us. Sarah was adopted from Romania at the age of two and a half by her parents who brought her home to Ireland. She grew up always knowing she was adopted and feeling so safe and content, surrounded by her loving parents and family. But behind her bubbly personality and beautiful smile, Sarah navigated, often alone, the impact adoption had on her life, on the way she felt about herself, and on the security and safety she felt in her relationships. Sarah speaks to me today about all of this and more, including her emotional journey to meet her family in Romania last year. Sarah, welcome to Unspoken. Thank Thank you. you so much for joining me today to talk about a topic very close to my heart and something that is very unspoken and often very misunderstood. Let's go right back to the start to begin today's conversation to where it all began for you. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for having me. Um, So my story starts when I was two and a half years old. Um, I was adopted from Romania um, in 1991. My parents came over from Dublin. They were part of the first cohort, if you like, of people traveling from Ireland over to Romania to adopt. And they adopted myself and my brother. Um, So I was adopted from a place called Turgovishta. Um, and I was in a hospital there. Okay. Um, and I had been in that hospital and out of it at certain points, but for the majority of the start of my life, from what I'm told, I I don't remember this now. Mm. Um, I would have spent time there. Um, and then my parents came over from Ireland, and my mum came and found me. She always says she came and she found me. Um, and I was in a room on my own, and in a cot. And she said that I was smiling when she came to the room and I was singing. Um, and she thought that, oh, she has a, a happy kind of disposition about her, even in the environment, because it would have been very tough in Romania in those times, understandably. Mm. Um, so if she had had a lot of upset trying to, you know, going through that experience. And she said she was just struck by the fact that I was a happy child in that environment. Um, and she took me out of the cot and then realized that I couldn't walk at two and a half. Mm. Um, and she said, my legs were kind of up here like this, kind of almost up near my shoulders, if you like. And she gently was trying to bring those down to the ground. So she got the impression that maybe I wasn't taken out very often. Um, and it was a very difficult time in Romania as well. So she took me back with my dad, came back to Ireland um, and my grandparents and my extended family were all very much a part of my my younger years, you know, very mm-hmm. integral part. I came home two months before my brother as well. He wasn't ready to come home at the time. So my mum said she spent the two months really kind of working with me to kind of get me stimulated and I couldn't swallow or eat. Things that, you know, at two and a half, yeah. you'd, you'd imagine you'd be doing. Um, but she had me up and walking and everything anyway from my brother's arrival, which was about two months after. Um, so I came home on Valentine's Day. So, um, 
Yeah. So from there, I was living in Dublin with my parents and my brother. And we would have always known that we were adopted from even before we knew what that word meant or Mm. where Romania was. You know, I would have been at school and they would have said to me, you know, you say you're you're adopted or you're from Romania. You're making that up. Kids would actually have assumed I was lying, but I wouldn't have understood what really being adopted was. Um, But my parents always felt that it was important to share with us our story and not to give us too much to overwhelm us either. So they gave it to us kind of incrementally as well when Mm -hmm. they felt we were at an age that we could understand that. Um, And then every year as well, we would have probably always marked the the day that we were adopted. We call it our celebration day. Oh, that's so Um, sweet. Yeah. So it was always very cute and it would be either going to the pantomime or for the bigger anniversaries then so for the 10 year we went to Romania they brought us over um but again we were probably a bit too young to fully understand the connection like they said they brought us to where we were adopted from my brother was from a place called Playeshti I was from Targovishta we were both more interested in the water parks um so it just (laughs) it was the right thing to do in one sense because it gave us a positive association which was their idea they didn't want it to be upsetting for us Mm. um but we would have just always grown up knowing about our adoption do you um, remember when you first realized or learned what that actually meant to be adopted? Yeah, I remember, I suppose, when I was in secondary school um, was when I suppose I really understood what I didn't understand. Before that, I would have probably known that I wasn't in my mum's tummy when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we got older, mum would have explained that life would have been very hard. And dad, they both would have explained that life was very hard in Romania and the choices that people had to make at that time. And that lots of children got given the gift of moving to Ireland. So it was always presented in a very positive way to us. Um, They never wanted us to feel like we were unwanted or they did their best to try and shield us from a lot of that. Um, And then when I went into secondary school and you have the natural, I suppose, insecurities and questions about who you are as a person. um, We in fourth year, we had to do an autobiography, which was basically you go through your whole life story and... You had to have photos and talk about where you came from, essentially. And I always remember the English teacher saying to us, you know, and bring in your baby tags and, you know, bring in your first photo. And I think it was that was the first time it really connected with me that I'd never seen a photo of myself as a baby, even though I have lots of photos. My mom and dad, like, God, I, they were like big brother nearly. They documented everything for us as kids. And they were great, but I had no baby photo. So I would put my hand up and said, look, I'm adopted. I don't have that photo or I don't even know that you get a baby tag and she had said to us like all you know take your stories wherever you want to so I went home and I decided to write a fairy story and talk about how I was rescued because I think that was almost the way it was presented to me as a child so I probably had a bit of that narrative in my head. And what was it like at the age of 15 or 16 putting up your hand and saying I can't do this I was adopted? Yeah I think because it was such an open topic at home it was encouraged Mm. um I found it okay to put my hand up, but as soon as I realized I was different, you know, kind of, I might have noticed prior to that in situations in school that I wasn't included in in certain moments. Um, But that was really the first time that I I really felt different from my classmates because most of them um, would have, there were one or two other kids that were adopted, I think. Um, But most of them would have had their baby photos. So I remember thinking, mine's going to be different from everyone else's. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I went off and I did that. Instead, I did like a fairy story. But when I went home that day, my mum said to me, well, 
you know, I was saying, I don't have a photo. She says, well, I do have a photo of you, actually. It was taken outside the courthouse the day of your adoption. Would you like to see it? And in the photo was my birth mother, my grandmother, my sister um, and myself. And my mum said, look, I never wanted to give this to you until you asked for something or mm. it came from you. I never wanted to kind of put things in front of you if you didn't want them or weren't ready for them. Yeah. Um, Do you remember that moment seeing that photograph for the first time? Yeah, I remember it quite vividly, actually. And I remember straight away looking to see where I could see myself kind of mm. in all of them and ah. trying to identify that. Yeah. Because I think that was probably something from throughout my teens, definitely. I, even though I have a very loving family and everyone's wonderful, we don't, me and my brother don't look alike because we're both adopted. You know, I don't look like my parents. Yeah. And definitely coming into my teenage years, you know, when you're developing as a woman and all of that, that's difficult anyway. Mm. Um, I was kind of wondering, well, why is this happening to me this way? Or where do I get my nose from? Like, that was one of my questions. Um, so when I was um, looking at the photo, then I could see that, oh, there's my nose. There's that. So that was quite a strange way I suppose how I describe it looking at that yeah but I gave the photo back to my mum then she said I gave it to you I went to bed was sweating thinking you wouldn't you know you'd identify with it and get on the next plane or something but I gave it back to her I, I was curious more than anything um and it was probably then you know over the years after that that I started to get more inquisitive about meeting my family then my birth family Oh, your poor mom handing over the photo and then going to bed and thinking about it by herself. I really yeah, feel for her in that moment. Yeah. When you were curious, you know, before you received the photo, did you talk to your family about that? Was there that openness there? There was always an openness there. And it's probably going to sound a bit strange because the, the communication was always encouraged. But I always felt a sense of not wanting to seem ungrateful, I suppose, in a way, because I have been given a blessed life. I I know that myself. I've always known that. It was also said to us, you know, God, your life could have been very different, you know, if you were in Romania. Mm-hmm. All of that is very true. But when you have a curiosity, sometimes you're kind of almost dancing with the two at the same time of you want to stay faithful and loyal to the family you have and have given you everything mm-hmm. and never seem ungrateful. But if you're feeling like you're lacking something as well and you don't know what that thing is if I can articulate it then I can bring it to them and say well it's because I feel I miss this connection but you don't know what you've never remembered having so I knew there was something and it was only probably as I got older that I recognized it was yes the physical stuff the attributes because I think we all like to know where we get our features from but sometimes it was also the you know, what life might have been like otherwise. I had probably that curiosity, mm. but wanting to be grateful and loyal. I, I There's something in me that almost feels a bit disloyal when I talk about that in a way, if that makes any sense. I hear that all the time from people who are adopted mm. and it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. You know, having this curiosity and trying to figure out who you are, but feeling guilt for that, yeah. for that really natural human experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it makes sense, I suppose, you know, in my own work as a therapist, I would understand that. And then when you're going through it, especially when I was younger, I wouldn't have known that. But you're, it's just something you don't know what you're longing for as well yeah and sometimes I still don't know what that is it it can change of course yeah you mentioned that there were a couple of things growing up that you felt left out of talk to me about that yeah so 
I suppose the earliest one I remember, and it probably is a silly one in some ways, is that I'm left-handed. And when I was in school, all the girls were right-handed. So naturally, even when you'd be playing sports, the teachers would put you on the other side of, say, if you're playing tennis, the other side of the court. So you'd be kind of moved to the other side. So straight away, there's a difference. Um, And did you associate that with your adoption and where you came from? A little bit, because again, I was like, well, why am I left-handed? Because my family were right-handed as well. And then I always remember um, one of my really good friends now um, and from the moment she came into our class, she had moved over from South Africa when we were in primary school. And I really connected with her when she came and we're still really good friends. Um, And I think it was because someone else in the class had a different story. There was always something again in how the others would all talk about their baby years. And it wasn't that we talked about this every single day. Yeah. But definitely when those conversations would happen. I thought it was interesting, you know, when I was reflecting on all of this, that actually I I found that friend and a lot of what connected us was we had, she had a different story to everyone else in the class. I had a different story mm-hmm. and we really gravitated towards each other. And I do think that that's at the core of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then tell me what it was like, you know, as you entered your late teens and twenties, what was life like then? Yeah. So I think life as a teenager for everyone can be a little bit up and down at times. Um, For me, I really struggled with my self-esteem and I would say some of that has to be to do with my adoption because and my roots, because my my life since I came home, I've been surrounded by encouragement and love every step of the way. Um, And of course, we all bring our own stuff into life anyway, but um. I'm always conscious, especially as I've gotten older, that the younger years are so important to us. Um, and there are two years there where I don't have recollection of what my connections were with people. Mm-hmm. My my mum said when she came into the hospital to me that I was kind of rubbing the cot as if I was cleaning it. So she said maybe the cleaner was coming into you every day and we don't know. And that's all kind of a grey area. Um, I feel so sad for that little two-year-old year. Yeah, it is sad. It definitely yeah. is. Um, I think, you know, in my teens then I had more questions about my physical stuff And then as I got a little bit older, I went over to, I was studying in Dublin and then I studied in Belfast to train to become a therapist. And I started learning a lot about, you know, the early years, you know, the stuff that you know all about um, and how those younger years really, really play a part. And while it was so interesting on the academic level, again, it was really connecting with me on a personal level because I don't think I'd really spoke, like thought that piece through myself that actually yeah like this really impacts you those two years Mm. and the life that you're living now yeah yeah so there was a lot of thinking back to that little girl the little baby that you were yes in that cot in the hospital yeah and that was probably the first time I got emotional about it was probably when I was doing that training I used to I used to get the bus up and the amount of times my dad would collect me from the bus and I'd be crying um and it'd be just because you'd be doing a lot of work on yourself anyway naturally because Mm. you're becoming a therapist um what but a lot the, of it was connected to my child's yeah, stuff. The tears, what were the tears about? I think a bit like what you're saying. I was thinking about a little girl in a cot and mm. some of them were happy tears as well. Like my mom would say, you know, when she picked me up, I instantly grabbed onto her jumper and, you know, there was a connection between us straight away as if I was always meant for her. Um, and yeah, just that that child that was neglected for those two years. Because mm. um, that is sad. I think, well, you 
when you take yourself out of it and maybe before that I think I kind of separated myself a little bit from it it was almost like it was someone else's story yeah like even with the autobiography that I was talking about in school it was a fairy story up until that point and I think the reality probably set in a little bit around then that oh yeah all the stuff my parents have shielded me from can be true but also at the same time there's a sadness there isn't there I suppose yeah 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 so you started to become more curious about the impact that it had on yes. you the more that you learned yes yeah. and the older that you got yeah yeah so you're in Belfast you're yeah. in college you're learning more about I suppose the developmental yes. um stages that we go through as we're growing up and that makes you really curious about your development yeah. particularly the early years and the yeah. impact that perhaps that has had on you and yeah I guess your sense of belonging in the world your safety in the world absolutely safety in the world my connection with people as well through my life I suppose um because while I have always felt very safe I suppose there's an, a layer to me I always feel that I have to protect myself in a way and that probably can be heard even I can hear it as I'm telling you now in school even you know that if you feel like you're different mm. you probably withdraw a little bit in certain situations or I would definitely identify myself as a pleaser and wanting to help people always it's what definitely made me gravitate towards you know doing the work that I do mm. um but also helping other people and not kind of looking after my own needs always um and then also in my relationships it comes up probably as well and when I was studying, I think it was the first time that I was like, hang on, my early years, the younger you are, the more things impact you. Well, if I was two and a half years on my own, because I think for me, I've always had probably a sense of independence, be it in romantic relationships, my friendships, even my family will say, you know, you're, you're not great at asking for help. I'm great at giving help. I wouldn't be the first person to ask for it. And that sometimes can be to my own fault. Um, so... In my friendships, I can I, I get a lot out of helping my friends and being there for them. But I wouldn't be ringing them in the middle of the night. Even in my teen years, I wouldn't have wrong people to say, I'm struggling with something. Mm. And then I think that carried through into romantic relationships. And now I suppose I'm in my 30s and I'm single. A lot of that, I, I'm still doing that work as well. So, um, and yeah, I, I probably identified that around the time of when I was studying. You said that you protect yourself. What are you yeah. protecting yourself from? I wonder sometimes, is it that fear of rejection or being hurt? Because while I would absolutely identify with having protective people in my life and being very much loved, I suppose when you break it down, well, you you were rejected in the beginning. In whatever way, you know, you kind of dress that up and no matter what a soft landing your parents give you and whatever version they tried to tell you to protect you from that. Your your birth mother didn't, you know, want you regardless. But this is before I even know anything about mm. that. Um, that felt sense of rejection yeah. is so common yeah. amongst adopted people. And mm. I know I've certainly felt that myself, yeah, yeah. whatever the circumstances, whether rejection actually was a piece of it, that felt sense of it, that yes. perception yeah. is really common yeah yeah and I, I I would agree with you and it's complicated because the rational part of your brain is telling you that it you know well there's other things that come into play there Sarah um it's not just that she dumped you or whatever but I think then that comes into the romantic piece because you're if a relationship doesn't work out you're going to break up mm. so I've 
I suppose, navigated relationships in a way that I get out of them before that happens. Okay. Or if I get the sense that I'm getting too close to it. And I, w- I think that might be the hurt. I don't want to get hurt. And then maybe the sense of rejection, the fear of rejection as well. Mm. So you've mentioned there being a woman in her 30s who's mm. single and how independent you are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's there's lots of good positive things about that. But I wonder sometimes if that's what I want uh, or is that something that I've protected myself with? Is that just that self-preservation that's kind of mm-hmm. kicked in? Um because if you're on your own for two and a half years, again, there's an element of having to fend for yourself. And my mum and dad would always joke that you're very good at nearly to a fault at being by yourself. There is a, it is okay to, you know, be vulnerable. And I, I can be vulnerable emotionally, but definitely, mm. I think, and with my family, because I trust them. But in my relationships, I, I, I dated this guy for a few years. And even now I'm saying I dated him. I was with him for three years, but I never would acknowledge that he was, a boyfriend like even saying that now I'm like well he wasn't a boyfriend um but he would always say to me you know you almost have like this wall and sometimes I take a brick down and I think great I'm getting there and not that he couldn't connect with me but it's like there was just this layer there mm-hmm. and sometimes he'd be like oh there's the, the bricks coming down and other days he'd be saying oh there's another one gone back up so I think mm-hmm. relationships I've been in partners have seen it yeah. because He's not the only person who said versions of that to me, but that always stuck with me because I thought that was quite appropriate. Yeah. I, I identified with that. I often think of the amount of work my poor husband had to put in <laughs> when we started dating because like you, I find it really hard to feel safe in relationships mm. and to trust people. So sometimes I feel sorry for him. <laughs> they have to do a lot of work though, yeah. they do. And, you know, I think of him in particular because if there probably was potential there. He probably got the closest mm. to like getting through that wall um I had other relationships afterwards some of them didn't even scratch the surface you know there was probably a layer on top of that wall as well Mm. um but I do you know when I reflect on it myself and I think about it I am someone obviously through my work I I'm I recognize the connection that we all need I feel it with my family Mm. you know I look at my brother that I mentioned you know and he you know was adopted at the same time as me and I think it's fascinating our our whole kind of connection and attachments are totally different you know he's always you know been in relationships and you know is married now and has a child um and I'm the other way and that's perfectly acceptable too if that's what you know you want and you're happy with those choices but I never know if that's really what I want because I think on some deep down level I know that this is self-preservation still yeah and that's the work I'm trying to do now myself Yeah. yeah does it show up in your friendships Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, it shows up, I suppose, when a friendship doesn't work out. So I have very good friends that I've had since I was a child. But I, in my teen years and in my, my 20s, had two instances that stick out. But one in particular where a friend essentially ghosted me out of nowhere. We were very close to this day. I can't tell you what happened. Um, that and is so painful. Very painful. And it coincided with my grandmother passing away who I was incredibly close with. And at the time I placed all of my upset around my grandmother naturally passing um, and being very distressed about that. Um, And of course that was what it was, but there definitely was because now that I've, this is years later, I've processed her passing and Mm. I'm still, I have times when people ask me about, do you ever hear from them? I get upset about it or I get confused or angry about it even now because Mm. It's that rejection, I think, again, and not knowing why in the same way, probably that I didn't know what had happened in my 
beginning in my origins there's a parallel between the two yes, for definitely. you yeah. yeah and I probably didn't see that you don't see it when you're in it a lot of the time do you mm, yeah. yeah yeah you mentioned you know not knowing mm-hmm. what the circumstances were for you being placed for adoption yes did you ever search for biological family or for a connection with them um, so when I was younger, I would have done the going on Facebook thing, you know, in, whenever Facebook came out. I remember doing that a few times um, and then kind of deciding a bit again, like the rejection. Well, what if I find something? Mm-hmm. And I heard stories of people either, you know, literally knocking on a door or the proverbial door mm-hmm. and getting it slammed in their face. And I was always fearful of that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you've rejected me once. You're not going to get the opportunity again, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I was in my 20s, I was living over in Cambridge and I had some health stuff, um, just physical health things. And again, a bit like when I was talking about my nose earlier, it was a bit like, where does this come from? Mm-hmm. And every time I go to the doctor, they they never write it down or they don't open up the file. They'll always say, do your parents have this? Where does this run in your line? And sometimes I just say, yeah, my parents might have that, but it doesn't, it's of no help to you because I'm adopted mm-hmm. or whatever. So around that time, because I was going to a lot of the doctor's appointments, that was a bit irritating. Um, so then I was like, oh, I wish I could just pick up the phone and ring someone. And then coincidentally, around the same time, I'm a big believer in timing of mm-hmm. things and that things happen for a reason. Um, I was over in Cambridge and I came back to visit my family. Um, and when I was visiting them, my parents said, we need to have a conversation with you. Um, and they were both a little bit nervous. And my dad took out a handkerchief and he was at the time he had written everything down. It was all like squiggly. And he said, I got a very interesting call from a cousin of mine. And very long story short, a, a lady had reached out to him on Facebook who runs this um, non-for-profit charity called the Never Forgotten Children of Romania. And she had contacted him thinking that he was my my father to say that my sister, my birth sister, had uh, been looking for me for about eight years. Oh, my goodness. And had found this Facebook page. And this was kind of her last hope of finding me. Eight years. Eight years, yeah. And that she had been trying and she essentially was getting the, the door slammed in her face, I suppose. Yeah. What um, was it like to hear that? Very strange. I remember when he first started telling me, I was kind of like, this isn't real. Like, what? And then I got very excited. My mum was sitting beside me and she was smiling. She was very excited about it because I think she knew she's very insightful, as mm-hmm. is my dad. And they knew on some level that I needed this before I I did. Um, even health stuff aside, but the timing of it, like now was a time where I actually had questions about where I came from, but also like, is there something medically that you can tell me? Mm. Um, so anyway, she put this lady put me in touch with my birth sister. She sent me over photos and said, you also have another family member in Waterford in Ireland. So I reached out to him and what transpired there is that he's my brother. And so I have a brother in Waterford that I never even knew I had. So that's been a very exciting experience. Yeah. He has two kids and that's amazing because I've never seen myself and children before um and do you do you see yourself in them in yeah in his little girl in particular we do say that that there's a resemblance there yeah um and something you were searching for something I was searching for like you're you're kind of seeing those elements there then it's a surreal feeling I don't know exactly I was trying to think of how to put that into words but Mm. I don't actually think there are words for it it's amazing it's it's a wonderful feeling and he asked me to be the godmother to his little boy. Aww. So 
like so they've welcomed me into their family and I have done that as well And and did you go on to meet your sister I did so last summer just gone in July I went over to Romania um we've been chatting up until the pandemic happened um which I again I think in many ways wasn't a blessing for us all but it was in terms of this because it gave us two years just to get to know each other a little bit we do have a language barrier so we had to use Google Translate or have interpreters. Um, I eventually got to go over in July and a week before I was going, she messaged me to say that my birth mother would also like to meet me. Um, and how would I feel about that? So I wasn't really expecting that. Um, I can because, imagine. Yeah. yeah, I had no contact with her. So for the two years I had spoken with my sister and with her family, she's married and has kids. And I had connected with the brother that I have as well. And that was all wonderful. But then she said, would you like to meet your mother she'd like to meet you so I rang my mum then straight away and I said what do we do because she was coming on the trip with me Mm. and she said that I think you should do this I think that you know it'll answer a lot of questions for you medically it might give you closure that maybe you have never really recognized that you need and go for it so we went over in the summer and we went to their house to my sister's house we had a big lunch my birth mother was there and we had the day together I can't even begin to imagine what visiting mm-hmm. and and meeting your birth sister and your birth mother, what that was like for you. At this point, did you, you know, had you spoken to your birth mother before meeting her? Did you know any of the circumstances of what led to you being placed for adoption? No. So that's, I think, what really started to come up for me was as soon as I got this message from my sister saying, you know, your your mother would like to meet you as well. Um, I straight away started asking myself a lot of those questions like because mm. I hadn't really thought the questions I was going to ask my sister were naturally going to be slightly different from because she wouldn't have the same memory obviously as the person who put me up for adoption would um, so I was starting to think about all those things straight away and do I really want the answers you know sometimes <sighs> well you know you're better off not knowing sometimes because um, now in my adult life it's not going to be the fairy tale that maybe was presented to me as a child and I obviously would have known that at this point there is that protection coming up again. Yeah, yeah exactly so and straight away what did I do I rang my mother which I thought was interesting before I'd even made a, a decision I literally looked at the message rang my mother rang my mommy yeah and said mom um so she said yeah to to go over and you need to ask these questions because I didn't know I still mm-hmm. didn't know ultimately why I was given up my my parents had always told me you know it was because of the circumstances in Romania, you know, the poverty and all of that can be true, but two things can be true at the same time. I still mm. knew there was more to that story. Mm. Um, like it, with all of us, we have layers. Yeah. And I was, my mom said, you, you'll, you'll get to meet her. You'll get to know what kind of a person she is. And it might be just a powerful thing for you. You don't want to come away from that trip and think, what if Yeah. you have most of your answers, but you didn't get, and you had the opportunity to. Mm. Um, so you yeah. traveled over. So I traveled over and went, um, had a very positive trip, beautiful place. It wasn't what I was expecting in many ways. Um, I went over to their house then and to my sister's house and they had a lovely big spread for us. They'd made a huge effort and we arrived in the car. The interpreter was with us. Um, and she turned out she knew my birth mother, which was a total surprise to us all when we got there, including herself. And I got out of the car and I, my sister came up to me first and we just embraced each other mm. and we were crying because we'd been talking for two years now. Yeah. And she, she was nine when I was adopted. So she remembers me being there and being gone. So 
that's why she's looked for me for all these years which makes a lot of sense so were you with your family before going into the hospital I would have been with them in in for a period of time that's still unclear to me because there's different versions that I've been told of that okay. um and while my sister I don't think is not telling the truth I don't think she's being dishonest children's memory is tightly di- slightly different when it comes to time isn't it so mm-hmm. what might feel like a week for her might have been a day I have no idea my parents were told though that there was very little interaction um when when they did adopt me and the evidence again the CBT therapist in me would say that well the evidence spoke for itself because I couldn't walk and being held was very foreign to me mm. um but so my sister and embraced me first then my straight away out of the corner of my eye I could see my birth mother even though I'd seen a photo one photo of her now I was kind of presented with her I straight away could it was like an instinct thing I just knew she was there before I even saw her she was wow. kind of in my periphery vision and I I was nervous obviously going over to meet her because I didn't know whether she was just going to come up and look at me was she going to hug me the self-preservation was kicking in mm. like do I want to hug her and she just put her arms around me and started bawling crying um so then I was crying of course as well gosh when you were with her I hope it's okay to ask but did you did you ask her what the circumstances were that led to her placing you up for adoption I didn't really have to, to be honest. She kind of volunteered it herself. She went into her story almost straight away. I got the impression she was almost psyching herself up. You know, when you're nervous and you almost have a talk with yourself in the mirror. Maybe mm. I'm the only one that does that. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I got that impression that she'd either rehearsed this or, again, I appreciate it must have been such a surreal experience for her as well. Mm. Um, she kind of just started t- telling me about her life then. And my birth father basically was on and off the scene shall we say um and he was not interested in having children and especially did not want to have daughters so he was in a situation where he had two so he was kind of coming and going over that period and she wanted a life with him mm-hmm. the financial stuff and the stuff that was going on in Romania definitely contributed as well um and she had support from her parents my my grandparents but ultimately she made the choice to have me adopted because it sounds like she didn't really know what was going on with me as well because I had a few health issues as a baby and maybe she couldn't financially, you know, help me with those. She didn't say that, but I was reading between the lines a little bit there. But what she did say was that she loved my birth father and that he was her priority, essentially. Oh, gosh. What was it like to hear that, to be told that after all these years of wondering? Yeah, she was so sad when she was saying it. I didn't know whether all of that was completely true. And there was a language barrier um, as well. So in terms of when she was telling me things, some of it really connected with me. And I, I listen, if you fall in love with someone and you make the wrong choice, you spend your life then wondering what if. And I think that was a lot of her sadness was that maybe she hadn't made the right choice. Sadly, he passed away um, in mm. 2015. But she hadn't had a relationship with them for a long time. Mm. So whatever that relationship would have ended, that must have been very difficult for her because she had yeah. given up her two children for this relationship. It's interesting yeah. because you've gone to her now again. Yeah. I'm I know, asking I you how it was for you and you've gone to her and I know yeah. we all do. Gosh. Yeah. You know? yeah. I know. It's, it's mad that I still do that even when I'm conscious not to do it. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's just easier. It's instinct as well, yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is easier, I yeah. think. Because of what that really does mean is, mm. yeah, I, I think she 
she picked yeah she picked the man and that's always hard to to hear as a child I think I can't fully connect with it even now which is what's strange that's the work I'm trying to do now is that I know there's still a layer there that Mm. wall again if we want to use that analogy Mm. um but I I know it's it's hurtful but ultimately when I came away from that trip I felt so sad for her because I ultimately my story is a good one I have a good life you know she she did the right thing like when I went to leave her she she hugged me and she was crying and she said I am so sorry please don't be angry with me please don't be angry with me she kept putting um my hand on her stomach again we didn't have the same language so I think she was trying to communicate you you came from my stomach Mm -hmm. that's how I interpreted it anyway I found that quite powerful and emotional. That was when I was crying. Even talking about it now, it makes me a little bit emotional. Um, Because, yeah, like we were connected at one point. And she, you know, had me there now again and was now going to have to say goodbye to me again Mm -hmm. when I was leaving that that dinner. And I felt ultimately very sad for her because her life has been hard, but also sad in many ways. Mm -hmm. And that's not my choice, wasn't my decision. Um. But that's probably what I was surprised at myself coming away from. I thought I'd feel more. Okay, great. I got to do that. I got my answers and I did get my answers, but I ultimately felt sad for her because she she made the wrong choice for herself, I think, but made the right choice for me. So mm. it's, it's a it's a hard thing. Yeah. 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 What was it like arriving home after yeah. that huge trip very emotional I was quite good on the trip I'm not really a crier by nature um I cried more on the trip than I thought I would even um leaving my birth sister again I cried for about an hour leaving her because I felt again and I'm, I'm going to her now even as I say this she had lost me once before yeah and she had memory of that and she was at the courthouse the day I was adopted she's in the photo that I was given she remembers that day she remembered my mum when we arrived at the house she said you used to have curly hair so she remembered my mom. It's a big day for her as well yeah. in her story. Yeah. Um, and for you coming and home. And for me coming home. And I think then when I came home to Ireland after being there this summer gone, I cried for about a week after that. At random times, I would think about them and the life they had. And those moments, like when she put her hand on my stomach, I have kind of these images of different bits. And we had a lovely day there. It was all very nice. She had some inconsistencies with what my parents would have told me about practical things like I used to love ham. I used to walk over to her. I used to, I said to her when I was leaving her, don't cry. But I couldn't talk and I couldn't eat. So I do wonder, is that her way of how she copes with the choices she had to make? It's, Mm. you know, we all have that self-preservation and the story we have to tell ourselves. Yeah. For me as well, I suppose, in the last few years, a pivotal thing, along with meeting my biological brother and being welcomed into his home, is the brother that I grew up with, my my number one. Um, I always feel like I have to nearly separate that in my head as well. Um, but he has had a little girl as well. So he, I have a niece and I see so much in her just love that we all have for her. And I think from the moment my sister-in-law got pregnant, having that experience because they were living with my mom at the time so we were all very involved in her pregnancy we had never had that before in our house so because it's just me and my brother Mm. so actually having seeing a pregnant woman in the house and then the baby coming home I again was uh, through all of this I was thinking and I was talking to my own birth sister at this point I was thinking wow like you know my mother would have gone through that my birth mother would have had that same experience yeah 
it's hard then, you know, because you can see a little baby and we love that girl so much. Like she's the centre of all of our world. None of us can remember life before her. Yeah. Um. So what's it like thinking of the little baby that you were? Yeah, it's, that's the sad thing, I think. And when I look at my niece, she's only one. And the progress she's made, like developmentally even, mm. and the things she can do. She's got sentences. She's got words. She's, you know, walking around the place like it's nobody's business. Yeah. And we're all so excited by every milestone. Yeah. I w- would have had none of those milestones. And I think that's really sad. And again, I, I appreciate that as soon as I came home to Ireland, I got I reached all those milestones very quickly, which suggests that it was that I just wasn't stimulated because if it was as they had suspected in Romania that there was something wrong with me, that would have taken more time. That would have required more input. But my mum, my dad, my grandparents, my aunties and uncles all used to just, they immersed themselves in me. I was the first to see that came home. So yeah. I was the first grandchild as well. So yeah, um, it, it just sounds shows like you, you were it. so loved from I the minute so you came home. Yeah. And I think that's why it's in my mind still, even though there's so much sadness in that story, in, in it for me, Ultimately, I can't feel sad about something that ultimately gave me a life and did, mm-hmm. you know, give me such such a great, you know, path in life. Because as soon as I got here, she did make the right decision. So when I hugged her and she said, you know, that you don't want you to be angry with me, don't be sad or please forgive me. She said all those things. I just said, you don't need to ever feel that I'm angry with you. I'm not angry with you. I'm not sad with you. Like you did the right thing. You gave yeah. me the life I have now. So thank you. Has there ever been a part of you since coming home that regrets, you know, asking that question when the truth was perhaps hard to hear? Yeah, yeah, it probably wasn't the answer that we all dream of getting and that moment. I don't regret asking it. Um, I think it's knowledge is power. And as I go through my own journey now of trying to connect how I feel about all this and make it a little bit more about myself, probably, and less about my sister and my mother's story. Um, I think it's helpful to know all that information. It doesn't make it an easy thing to hear. Um, it confirms a lot of those negative core beliefs as well in, in many ways. But that's the work that I was doing anyway. So it kind of helps me to kind of have the fuller, the full picture. I always think you're better to have information and then you know what to do with it mm. rather than wondering the what if. So mm. my mum was right. I was right to take the trip. I was right to meet her. I've now met her. I can, it is an amazing thing. I have photos with her. Um, I got to figure out where I got that nose from, you know, all, all those, all those things that I wondered. Um, I got my answers on all those things as well. So while I didn't get maybe the, the happiest, fluffiest answer to the ultimate question, she was able to give me clarity on the other areas that I wanted to know. So I felt I got more out of it than I intended to. Mm. And I got what I went over there for ultimately. I always think of it like a, you know, like a puzzle, like a jigsaw. It's like there's these missing pieces. Yes. But just being given that missing piece or those couple of missing pieces that you never knew where they were or what pictures were on them, that can be really healing in itself. Very. And I definitely feel a shift in myself since that trip. I've been going to therapy now myself for maybe four or five years. I was doing work that I didn't think was related to adoption, but what I knew it was, it was all that relationship stuff that we talked about before, Mm -hmm. that I'm fiercely independent and I want to make myself more accessible in my romantic relationships moving forward. Um, But I also 
feel that now I have that, as you say, that piece. That's a really nice way of saying it. Yeah, that there's these pieces on the board now mm-hmm. that maybe I didn't have before. Um, and I'm OK with that. I can I had already been very grateful for the life that I had. I never felt like I should have been in Romania. But now I got to see Romania. I got to see, you know, the life that I would have had as well. And it wouldn't have been an easy life. Um, but I can ultimately go back anytime I want now. So where are you at now? You know, you've had such a big year. Yes, very big. It sounds like you've been doing a lot of work on yourself. Mm-hmm. How are you doing now? I'm doing good now. I think talking about it in this way and putting it all together, I can hear the little shifts myself. There's still lots of work that needs to be done, I think, for me in terms of how I feel about some of this because I have a tendency to deflect to other people um, in my own relationships and even in the story I can hear myself saying that. But in terms of now I'm at a point where I know there's certain things I want for my own life and that in order to get to that place, I need to do the work. And we're all a work in progress, so I'll never get, you know, to the end of the sentence, as they say. But I think that ultimately I'm on the right path now. I'm delighted. Like I've my life has only gotten fuller. I see all of this as a positive, even the sad bits, because I've gone from a situation where I had one brother to having two brothers and a sister I've gone from having no nieces and nephews to now having, I can't even tell you how many I have now. Um, and that's all good thing. You know, people in your life is important. And I think from a situation where I was on my own for the first two years, this is such a contrast now. I have a life full of people. Mm. Um, so I think ultimately that's the way I choose to to see it. What would you like the future to hold? I would hope to meet someone. Um, this sounds like a dating profile, <laughs> um, but some at some point, and I'm getting closer to figuring out what that would look like. Um, the quest, the ultimate question I have for myself is, do I want children? Which is a big question in itself. I don't know, but before I would have always just had that self-preservation, don't want it, and that's the work that I've done in my therapy is to recognise that I'm not saying no anymore there's a reason for that and it's because I see the joy now that babies do bring into our lives and there is a reason for it and maybe it's not all sadness and rejection at the beginning because now I have evidence to the contrary Mm. um because even though my parents rescued me at two and a half there was still that rejection for the first two years but in my nieces and nephews now they don't have that so that's kind of the piece that I need to figure out next but maybe that's or if I get to a place where I don't want it, I'm okay with that too. But at least now I'm exploring it mm. rather than having a door closed on it. Yeah. Yeah. If you could go back to that little girl that was mm. in the cot in Romania, yeah. what would you say to her? I would say it's going to be okay. I think soothing is something that I've had to learn even as an adult, self-soothing. Um but I obviously had ways, even as a young child, of, of doing that if I was on my own for two and a half years or two years. Um, and that it's going to be OK. It's going to get better. And that, you know, one person, even though it's a pivotal person in the beginning of your story, is not how your story ends. You know, there's going to be wonderful things and wonderful people. Um, and while you might always have that one piece of that puzzle that you're uncertain about or not sure if it completely fits, all the other f- pieces came together in the way that they were meant to mm. Yeah, emotional now. Um, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's, they're happy tears. What has come up for you? 
it's just I think that yeah that everything else worked out but it's that sadness again of that little girl mm. and when I think about it it is sad um but it's also happy tears because my life I'm very lucky with the life that I have I love the work that I do I love my family and everyone that's come into my life now my even in my birth family like they're all wonderful you just don't know who could come knocking on your door. Like they, they're the ones that ended up in the hardship, really getting me because they, they got the crazy one. But, um, they're all wonderful. You know, they've only enriched my life. So, mm. I think it is. Yeah, when you think about it from the start to the end, it's it's emotion. It's not necessarily all sadness. It's just emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming to share your unspoken with us. It's so lovely to to hear it's such a pleasure thank you so much for having me it's been like a therapy session anyway (laughs) (laughs) it's so interesting because our stories are so different but I could relate so much to to so much of what you talked about those experiences not Mm. feeling safe in relationships feeling different not feeling that sense of belonging in the world Mm. and the many years that I've researched adoption for and spoken to adopted people so many of the themes that you've spoken about are so common for so many of us and I think there's something nice in that isn't it that even in all our stories being so different and you know experiences and that's true in life I know anyway but as adopted people that you we feel a connection in terms of some of those areas that we're not on our own in it even Mm. though in that moment I would have been on my own you you might have been on your own whoever else like I went to school with girls who were adopted yeah um we're not on our own in that sense. And that's why it's important to talk about this, that it's it's normal. Yeah. And that naturally there's an impact from early years, but, you know, you're not on your own with it, I suppose. Because I feel a sense of connection to it. And it was what even, you know, gravitated me to your Instagram page was when you were talking about adoption because there was someone talking about it now. And I probably mm-hmm. hadn't seen a lot of that before yeah. online. So it's really important for us to be talking about it. So thank you so much for having me as well, because it's been, as I say, almost like a therapy session. It's been very cathartic, but also it it makes me feel more, I'm a part of something as well, which is nice. And that is the whole reason that I became a psychologist and why Unspoken was born, to help other people feel less alone in their experiences, because I did. I felt really alone in mine growing up Mm. as an adopted person. There were no other girls in my class that were adopted. So I'm slightly envious of you having had that experience. Um, And I often think as well, adoption is, it's often misunderstood. It's so complex. So Mm. to have people, to have you here and talk about it, it, it's really lovely because I know it will help others after people, but also maybe family members yes. or the boyfriends that are in the situation. <laughs> yeah. Like my poor husband was for many years. We'll set up a support page just for, <laughs> for the boyfriends and the for husbands. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for coming and so oh, it's bravely. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it. And it's been ev- everything that I w- was hoping that I'd be able to share and uh, hopefully people will find it helpful. But even for myself, selfishly, it's been really a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you. As I already touched on during my conversation with Sarah today, adoption is such a complex and often misunderstood experience for people. So often I have had to explain myself throughout my years of why I was struggling, how my adoption had impacted me. 
And I could hear that echoed in what Sarah was saying so eloquently today too. It's tough. It's really hard. And my advice to those listening who are adopted or to have family members who are adopted or children who are adopted is to be really gentle. Be really gentle with yourself. Be really gentle with them if they're struggling. Allow yourself time to feel all of the emotions that come up. The loss, the sadness, the grief, the frustration, the pain. Whatever it is that comes up is valid. It's normal that you're feeling this way. I too have felt all of those emotions and more. As Sarah shared with us, she too has felt that way. So allow yourself to to sit with those emotions, to process them. If you do decide to go for therapy, my advice would be to work with somebody who understands the complexity of adoption. Work with somebody who can really be there with you in it. You're welcome to contact me. I can share my research with you. I can meet you for an appointment to help you on your journey. And likewise, I imagine Sarah works in this area too. I also think it worth mentioning that when you are struggling, there is always hope. I joked during my chat with Sarah that I really struggled for a long time to feel safe and secure in my relationships. And life has changed so dramatically for me since those days. I'm so happy and carefree and relaxed now in my family, with my husband, with my little girls. So there's always hope. I promise it gets easier as it did for me and as I know it will throughout Sarah's journey too. I see time and again the struggle that adopted people have with their self-worth, with their self-esteem, with their self-confidence. So I would love you to join me for this exercise where I will guide you through some words to help you to recognize and remember your worth and what you have to offer in life. So close your eyes now and arrive in this moment with me. Sit in your entirety in your body. Feel the tip of each finger, the space between fingers, the tip of your nose, your lips, your eyelids, your heart, your breath. Feel all the life vibrantly alive within you now. Here in your body that is home to all and everything, for it's time to remember now your worth. It's time to remember now that you were born worthy. I know you have been taught to search for this worth, taught to find ways to prove your value, find ways to be so that you are accepted and seen and heard. But this was an accident, a teaching that was instilled in us by those lost to their beauty and given worth as well, blind to the beauty of their beingness. If you were to stop all searching, all working to uncover and gain that which you already are, how would your life be different? What parts of you would come awake and alive? If you were to really know and feel that you are already abundant, needing of nothing, how would your life look different? How would you be holding yourself? How would your heart feel? How would your being feel? In all of your searching, you are simply uncovering what has always been here all along. It has all been here waiting for you to discover your beauty, your value, your unmeasurable worth. You are love, you are wisdom, you are whole. 
it's time to remember now that all of the words you are filling your days trying to have confirmed, trying to have given to you, is here in this moment, on fingertip, on soft lip, in the fullness of your heart. When was the last time you arrived here to find you? To find all you have been given from the moment you took your very first breath. Breathe here, remembering your beauty, remembering your light, remembering the gift that is you. How could your life be different if you could remember you are worthy as you have always been and never will need more than you already are? How could your life be different if you were to hold yourself in all of your glorious goodness? Lay it down. All effort, all needing, all inquiry of your light from outside of you. Lay it all down, for a part of you is deeply tired of searching. It's time to rest now. Rest in the remembering that you were born worthy. Rest in the remembering of your beauty, your value, your unmeasurable worth. Rest in the remembering that you are love, you are wisdom, you are whole. It's time to remember now that you were born worthy and that you always will be. Thank you so much for listening to Unspoken with me, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist. Be sure to like, subscribe and follow me at The Wellness Psychologist on Instagram if you'd like to hear more. If you identified with this topic, make sure to check out the show notes where I have listed related resources for you. I hope you find them beneficial.